I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking about another game of the season as Chelsea and Manchester City draw for all. And in the five minutes we've got left over after we finish talking about that game, we'll also try and cover Bournemouth, Everton, Aston Villa, West Ham and big game manager Gary O'Neill. Joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got three, three former footballers. A former defender who played a vital role in promotions for Chesterfield and Grimsby, Gregor Robertson. A former striker who doesn't like it when you forget to include his international goals in his overall tally. So that's two, six, seven yes. career goals, Tony Cascarino. And a former versatile midfielder who had a glittering career for Leighton Orient ladies playing, and I quote, sometimes as a winger, sometimes just off the striker, Alistair Rudd. Have I told you my off-striker story? No, you're going to have to now. (laughs) I think I have to. Make it quick, though. Remember how many games we've got to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, but I'd rather it was me, me, me. Yeah, I know. No, well, uh, there was a a match to promote a a boot manufacturer at... um, at Arsenal's training ground when Arsene Wenger was the manager and so the press were invited to play and try out the boots and stuff and so he divided the press into two teams and Wenger was manager of the team I was in so he said to me what position do you play which is nice he did he assumed I played football which I think is, is great it's great and I said well what I tend to be is an off striker I said now do you know what that is <laughs> I was so excited. I was so excited to be playing. I was like, found myself saying to Arsene Wenger. So I sort of of play in the hole. I sort of play off the main striker. Do you know what I mean when I say off striker? And he's he's looking at me like, I can't believe this woman. And Jermaine Pennant was our guest star team member. And he was on the floor laughing at how ridiculous this was to have me think I have to explain to Arsene Wenger what an off striker is. So a manager who had coached Dennis Bergkamp. <laughs> you asking him whether he knew what a, just, a player what just off the striker off was. Striker, yeah. Right, I've got to change the intro for you next week. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, anyway, well, there we go. I said we'd, I'd actually thought there was no time to di- dissect my witty intro, but it turns out we've got a good story out of Alison. But moving straight on to Stamford Bridge, Chelsea, Manchester City. Uh, I was texting Tony Cascarino yesterday saying after Thursday's show when we talked about games of the season, and I said, 
we've got another cracker. And Tony said, thankfully, we can just talk about the football. So hopefully yeah. that's what we're going to do. And the first quick fire question for all of you. Fair result? Draw? Yes, yeah. no? I think yes. so, yeah. Yes? Yeah. I would have been a travesty if anyone to have won it, obviously. Well, that's, <laughs> I, that's kind of my point, because it does feel like with these games of the season and all my mates in WhatsApp groups are texting me, what a game, what a game. And none of them support Chelsea or Manchester City. So we all like it when it's 4 all or 5 all when it's all a bit bonkers. Um, but I want to start with Chelsea. Uh, and I want to start with one player in particular, Raheem Sterling. Um, mm. Tony, you've written about him and talked about him in your column for, in the Times today. You're saying, you know, England, England squads, things like that. But t- talk to us about him for Chelsea. Was this a significant game for him? Well, what I loved about his performance, and, and I, I do feel he has played well this season. I think it's it's not about this game. It's about how he's performed really all season, in certainly in the early stages of a struggling season for Chelsea. But watching him yesterday and up against Carl Walker, which is was an incredible duel between the two of them, and I put in my piece that, you know, Carl Walker's handled Vinicius Junior, he's handled killing Mbappe. The hardest game he's had was Raheem Sterling. It was clear yesterday. And Raheem's quick feet and you know, it's a it's a given. You hear it in commentary, don't you, with Carl Walker? But you're not gonna win that race, are you? So it's literally a, a line that every commentator throws out because it's true. No one is gonna win that race against Carl Walker. But yesterday there was times when Carl Walker got frustrated with him, kicked him, made sure he would let him know he was there. But it was it was a great battle. And I thought Raheem, even when he switched, I just thought his desire to prove a point, not only to his own his old club, because it's always it's always nice to play against your old club and your old teammates. Uh, but when you you've got a hunger and desire like he had yesterday, and I I just came away thinking, how seriously can you leave him out of this squad? If anyone could do that to Carl Walker, it's an Im- Im- immediate inclusion in England squad for me. You know and. It's not like he's been playing poorly this year. If you go back to the end of last season, Raheem was struggling. Chelsea was struggling. And he didn't play particularly well. This year, I've seen a different Raheem from nearly day one. In the opening game of the season, I thought he played really well against Liverpool. Um, Managers must love it when their players are left out of international squads. Because I, I think most, a lot of Chelsea fans would be saying before this game, Raheem has had a good season, mm. but he's he's been good against the weaker teams. It's, that's when he's really shone. Put him up against a great fullback like Carl Walker, he's probably not going to shine. But whether he was spurred on by the fact he's yet again been omitted mm. or feels he has a point to prove or is just slowly getting back to his very, very best, you had a completely motivated... Best I've seen him for quite a long time, actually. It looked like the years had shed away. He was scintillating. And a, a candidate. there were a lot of candidates for Man of the yeah. Match, but he's definitely one of them. He was. He, it felt like going back in time a bit. Do you I, not thought, think? I thought, ironically, it was. It reminded me of an England performance by yeah, Ryan Sterling. Euros. You know, when yeah, he steps yeah, up yeah. and he's like, he's a leader almost, and he takes responsibility. And he, you know, when, when, when the team need a bit of inspiration, they need something... He was often the guy who who, who did it for England. Um, I'm not sure that quite happened at Manchester City in the same way. It's more he was part of a you know, kind of collective. That that goal that he scored was like a Manchester City goal. He always tapping finishes in at the back stick and stuff like that. But this season he has been like that. He's he's looked like the kind of he's looked like the old head, mm-hmm. you know, in a young team. And as you know, reference to where he kind of he's the one who took responsibility against Spurs to make something happen to actually find that that breakthrough to get through Spurs press uh, Spurs high line um, and in this game he just had the bit between his teeth in, in all aspects as you say it's the it's 
you're never going to he's not going to beat Kyle Walker in a race but when he stops and starts him yeah. and he's got the initiative that's when he can beat him and you're right the quick feet he's going to cut whether he's going to go inside or outside he picks up speed slows down that's what get that's what's really difficult for a defender even if you are as quick as as Kyle mm. Walker because he's the one making him He's the one with the initiative. Is, is this kind of sterling performance and some of those qualities you've talked about slightly symbolic of Chelsea's season under Pochettino? You know, Gregor, you've been critical of them in some of the games you've been to see them. Obviously, they beat Tottenham with a big helping hand from uh, two red cards, but beating Tottenham really could have beaten Manchester City. Does it feel like Pochettino, with players like Sterling kind of looking like back to his best, is it all starting to come together for them or are we, are we not quite there yet? I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, this was a bonkers game. But what they what they what they had in this was like a real kind of front foot attitude throughout the whole game. And you know, there are other games you know when they're not playing against Manchester City and the team are sitting deep and they've got a you know a low block to try and break down and they've got I think they're the second highest uh, possession count in the league. I think mm-hmm. it's just after City. So they've, they've had a lot of the ball. It's it's often it's been breaking teams down. This is a different game. There was more space to exploit. Um, and it was a wild game as well. And But there were certain players who who you feel are kind of did step up a level in this game. And, you know, Sterling was one, obviously. Uh, Cole Palmer was another. And, and Gallagher was another. Gallagher was outstanding. Um, and extro- and Rhys James, you could probably find there you as could. well. And but that, yeah, You could, but those three yeah. those three behind Jackson, I thought were magnificent. And and Gallagher is like, it's, it's extraordinary when you think what he's had to deal with this season. I think Chelsea would have sold him if he'd agreed to leave. Yeah. And that's because that's all the things we spoke about in the summer about, you know, you're, they're going to have to sell youth players because they're pure profit in accountancy terms. Mason Mount was one of them. They would have sold him. They would have sold Matson. Uh, but he said, no, I want to stay. And he, and then in the end, they brought off Caicedo and Fernandes, the £200 million plus midfielders, and, mm. and Conor Gallagher was the man yeah. left in the pitch. It, it was a fantastic game to watch in the fact that I kept thinking, what club side has done that to City? Couldn't think of anybody. Now, they've been in some humdinger, City, over the years. But watching that game yesterday, it felt like, you know, Chelsea are a mid-table team. If we look at the table, they've been a mid-table team this season. And they haven't quite got it together. But if you can score four goals in a manner that they showed, it shows there's a lot more to come from this team. I, and I appreciate that because I've never seen Diaz give away, you know, two or three times under pressure from people like runners like we're talking about, Cole Palmer getting there, Conor Gallagher getting there, making it difficult. Um, the biggest test will be for them is, OK, You've just done that, then there's the international break, and then the game's coming up afterwards. Can you play with the same intensity? Because this for whatever we think, if you play that way, you will beat the mediocre teams in the Premier League. You'll beat them because you've got enough class in there as well. There's enough talent to make the difference. It's just it's a different challenge. That's what I was yeah, saying. It's gonna be it is a different challenge and and that's when you need you know, you need someone like Palmer to to open, you know, to unlock the door. And he, he he's showing signs of stepping up. To, like he's got swagger. You know, it's funny. You, you wouldn't. I don't. Th- I didn't know that. I didn't really know that. You know, you'd seen glimpses of him. And you lad. see. Yeah, 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 you yeah. see. You come on. and You think oh, he's 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 got potential, this lad. But now, the more and more you see him, you see someone who's because he's quite kind of expressionless and <laughs> emotionless sort of. Uh, Face a lot of the time. He's not. He's not someone. He's not like Jack Grealish. Who you look at and you go. That Raheem Sterling's he's got swagger. Like that. He's not. He's That's not like. Gregor. He's not like Madison. You look at and go swagger. He, 
you know, he just does some, he does a lot of things. Like when he went up to the huddle, you see when City got a free kick at the death, he went up and kind of pretended to listen into them. <laughs> and Haaland, like, you could see he was laughing as he pushed them away. He's a confident lad, and like, yeah. I, I love that we're seeing that kind of side yeah. coming out in him so early. This was the first time this season I've seen Chelsea have a personality, and I feel like I could say, oh, that's, that's, right. a, that's a Chelsea team, that is. Yeah. I know, I know what the players, I know why he's picked the players and the position he's picked them. I know what they're meant to do. They didn't all step up, but most of them did. It felt um, it felt familiar and it felt like something you could really build on. The like, Chelsea I, fans I could feel identify, like that. I could identify yeah. them as a Chelsea team yeah. for the first time. It was such a mishmash before this. Yeah, and I think that from this, you could feel it from the terraces and the, the way, you know, we, I know a lot of Chelsea fans, you know, they're out. I've got two sons of Chelsea fans, you know, and they, they both... The same, you know, they felt like they loved their club at this moment because, yes, it was a 4-4 draw and we, we could easily dissect to the goals they conceded as well. Um, but it felt a, a performance of something very new. And, by the way, what's the second half of the season going to be like for Chelsea? Mm. I think that's an interesting point where, OK, we're not halfway yet, but we're getting to that Christmas period. What is the next few months, you know, going into Jan, Feb, March? What will Chelsea be like? I think that excites a lot of Chelsea fans. Yeah, well, so you're talking about excitement. Alison, you're talking about identity. Yeah. Gregor, you're talking about intensity. Are, are these kind of like the buzzwords that Pochettino's had to instill first? Because tactically, you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, faultless. As you say, Tony, yeah. could pick apart their goals. Gregor, we were saying last week that... As, until you and you made the point until Raheem Sterling started dictating the play they looked like they might not even break down nine ten men Tottenham so it, I'm not I'm not criticizing Pochettino for that I'm just asking is that more important after all they've gone through Alison maybe I'll come to you on this is that more important talking about that identity that it's excitement it's front foot it's a bit crazy it might end up 4-4 they might lose 4-3 but is that more important than intrinsic passing moves and well set up defensively well, it's prob- equal. I'd say it's equal. You can't say it's more important, otherwise you, you you're not going to finish above midway, are you? So, and and they're, they're a big club that re- expects something more than that, and a bit of pragmatism occasionally. But I think, I think you're right to pick up on the word identity, Tom, because why have you got Pochettino there unless you're going to have an expression of him and the way he likes to manage on the pitch? He's, you know, he he has a certain style. He he requires passion from the players. He's he's emotional. He's one of you know. I think you can divide managers up into the ones who wear their heart on their sleeves and the ones that do not. And he's one of those. And we're slowly starting to see Chelsea look like they are a Pochettino side. And he's helped because you've got players like Thiago Silva, who I've mentioned in the past. Mm. I, I feel like. Thiago Silva was there since he was six years old and he wasn't, but he's so bought into the yeah. the club and there is a great relationship between him and, and, and the fans in the stands. It's But it's a, it's about that reconnection after them losing their way and the Abramovich era coming to an end and everything changing. You need to find an identity, but also tap into one that already exists and traditionally, you're supposed to go to the bridge to see attractive football. Mourinho made you made you forget that because he was so blooming pragmatic. But actually, Chelsea are a team that are supposed to be expressive and fun and do things like this four four. Mm. Tony, you agree? 
Well, I was there in the 90s and we weren't very expressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the King's Road, 70s. And, you know, they've got that dynasty at the football club of people like Alan Hudson and, you know, and many others. Peter Osgood. And Charlie Cook. Charlie Cook, you know, players that were flair players. And, you know, I felt that when I was there as a player that they, they felt, you know, they, they who's, if you ask them who their favourite player is, well, Zola. You know, what is Zola of anything but an incredible gifted footballer? Uh, with a massive heart, loved the club by the way as well. Viali loved Chelsea. He openly spoke about it, you know, as a a, a player at Chelsea, a club that he adored. Um, and so I I get it. I I just find Chelsea a really interesting story as well because this idea of buying all these players and yes they've spent loads of money and they're going to have this new idea, huge long contracts with loads and loads of talent. How are they going to put this puzzle together? And it will be. Re- I just feel like it's a story in itself to see what sort of ch- team Chelsea will be like in months to come. Um, yeah. it, I, a lot of Chelsea fans are excited about what they're seeing. And Pochettino's, you know, said before this game, we we should never regard ourselves as the underdogs because mm. we're Chelsea, we're Chelsea. So there is he, he is trying to tap into that to, to you know, despite them being what the tenth in the league, a dozen points behind the leaders, uh, we mm. should still be. Aspiring to be, you know, back in the title race, essentially back in and amongst the leading clubs. Despite as, as Alison said, I'm having lost our way a bit. This is still Chelsea. So if you, if you can keep that, you know, remind the players of that. Oh, they're a young group and it's new, new for a lot of them. If you can remind them of that, and mm. and we are seeing a bit of the sort of energy of of like Pochettino Spurs side, then that should be exciting for Chelsea. Yeah. Talking about identity, then Manchester City. Dare I suggest that their identity is a little askew this season, maybe? Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Because I I think they're trying to work out how what do you do? How do you behave? What do you wear when you've <laughs> when you've won the treble? How do you how do you behave? Do you do you go out there with a an imperious air, you know, like Vienna in 1900? Which Pep wouldn't want them to do, of course. He would be well, expecting but, them but, to. But is is that necessarily I mean you ha- you can't pretend you haven't won the treble. You can't pretend it was something you yearned and yearned for. You can't pretend he didn't. He wasn't appointed at Manchester City to get them the Champions League. This is a big, big deal, huge deal to get the treble to win the Champions League whilst not faltering domestically. Huge deal. So you could make the argument that after doing that, you should act a bit posh and a bit imperial, imperious, and try and dominate from a position of strength and superiority and snootiness and looking down at the rest. But Pep doesn't want, doesn't seem to want that, hence him telling the players to celebrate more, not to take easy victories for mm. granted and to generate passion. I, I mean, and I think this match, this 4-4, was an example of how they're caught between those two things. They were sucked into, oh, we need to show, we need to match Chelsea for passion and not be shy of um, expressive football and having a go, but at the same time trying to remember that, hang on, Chelsea say they're not the underdogs, but they are. We are. We are the supreme beings here. And it ended up being not the sort of game if you are Manchester, in charge of Manchester City, you would want to unfold. I'm... I, I think they probably do need to have a clearer sense of how they progress from having won the treble. And this this was neither one nor the other. Well, 
talking about City then, and then the title, it, you know, it's still very early days, of course, but given what we've said, what we've seen recently from City, um, for a question for all of you, will City win the title? And if not, which of the teams around them, and of course we're not mentioning teams like Arsenal and Liverpool on the show today, good wins for them this weekend, which team looks best equipped to stop them winning the title? Tony, will they win it? And if not, Who's, who's well, going I've, to push? I've, who's I've, going to push them closest? I've said City all along. I think that you know De Bruyne not being there is a huge loss, and he he will be back. I think John Stones is another one. I think you could say Nathan Ake at left back because Guardiola was having a a tricky time. He, he, he's a good player, but Nathan Ake's probably a more accomplished, safer left back. So I think they've got players to come back in, um, and I've not got biased here, but I do. Liverpool excite me um, because of the way they play. Arsenal are close. Them and Liverpool are very, very close. Um, do I think they've got enough? No, I don't. I think they'll still fall short of City. City can play like they did yesterday, not their, as we've used the word, imperious best, and still come away with four goals away from home, which we're you know, forgetting about. I think if, Ireland's, if Ireland was injured, I think that would be another issue. If he stays fit all season, you're talking about getting 30, 35 goals again. Mm. It's going to be hard to stop. Alison? Well, it's a bit odd, isn't it, that Liverpool are so close to them and mm. yet they've had the fiasco Spurs. of VAR at Spurs, mm. the slight fiasco of dropping two points at Luton. I mean, that, that, could, that could happen to anyone, mm. that sort of weird result. And yet they're not out of it. I sort of feel like if they're still keeping pace with City, having had a few blunders, one of their own making, one not... Um, then and having had a slow start as well to the season, I think that's probably the key. If it's if football is about momentum, and you can argue that it is, Liverpool overall. I mean, there are little dips in the graph, but overall, I think they're getting better week on week. Mm. Whereas City are just extremely good. I don't see City getting hugely better. I mean, De Bruyne's return would would help that, but mm. I, I see I see the the trajectory for Liverpool being more impressive. So if if anyone's going to s- challenge City, it would be Liverpool, I think. That's, that's no, your do, most reasoned answer about Liverpool ever. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? It, it, this doesn't happen. And of course it would happen within the maybe the training ground and in the offices with his, his staff. But Pep, if you ask Pep, he wouldn't answer that, obviously, to the world of the media. Who he'd be, but, you know, like Fergie admitted years afterwards that teams that worried him when he was the manager, he didn't openly, you know, make them comments, but within his team, that, you know, would he say Liverpool because the fact that they've won the title and the only team to stop them in recent years from winning, what, six, six in a row, um, I think he would probably go, hmm, Liverpool would concern me a bit. But still have enough confidence that his city side are well good enough to win it. Great. We've got a journalist on the show who's prepared to question Arsene Wenger's tactical knowledge. And now we've got Tony Cascarino, the voice <laughs> of Pep Guardiola. Uh, Gregor, finally for you, will City win the title? And if not, who could stop them? Yes, City will win the title. I think every year we get sucked into thinking City can't improve. Here he and comes, then they improve. Mr. Logical, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are issues and they're the same issues I've raised. I'd like... Guardiola is new to the Premier League. He's kind of in a new position too, and mm. he's asked to be playing like almost a marauding left-sided centre back. Um, now Stones is out. Akanji's having to step into midfield. That's not natural for him, yeah, I don't yeah. think. Not as natural. Doku 
we were kind of waxing lyrical about Johnny wrote a great piece about him at the weekend um, and he was pretty ineffective in this game um, so there's just a few players that are new to the new to the Premier League and there's not the same certainty as there was at this time last season but I still think that City have a better squad than any other team in the Premier League and I still think that there's enough people in this in this team who have been here before who have been part of a Pep Guardiola team that when it gets to the kind of crunch time after Christmas they just put the foot down a little bit um, but if you're asking me who's closest then Liverpool and that's a change from my view at the start of the season because I thought Liverpool would struggle to struggle defensively this year and I think Van Dijk is as I said before is getting back to close to his best I think they're starting to figure out the balance about how Trent Alexander-Arnold steps into midfield and kind of remembers he's a defender uh, so I would say Liverpool will be, will be closest and that's a change from my view at the start of the season I thought Arsenal would have been Excellent. Well, it sounds like we can at least be excited. It wasn't just a flat City are going to win it. Um, moving on, we've got to discuss the other game of the weekend, or at least the other game of Sunday. West Ham 3, Nottingham Forest 2. And I'm going to have to keep it short, so I'm very sorry, West Ham fans, because I've only got one question for everyone. Uh, and it talks to David Moyes, and something that we've talked about a lot with him and his teams, not just with West Ham. But you've got this team now with Suchek scoring, but also Alvarez, Kudos, Paqueta playing. Are we getting this season the David Moyes, who is managing to blend the old with the new, the traditional Moyes with the David Moyes point 2.0? Or is it ultimately going to fall down? And, you know, there's been talk recently about bad runs, poor results. Is he never, ever going to actually get there with a club? Alison? Get where? Get exactly. to David Moyes 2.0. Get to the exciting bit. Get to the exciting players, bringing in up players that maybe don't fit the David Moyes narrative. The da- you know the big guys who score from corners, that kind of thing. Well, as long as you've got James Ward Prowse in your team, that is your priority, isn't it? Yeah. To make sure you look after your big guys at corners and that they get service. But he is mixing it up, and I, I think for a while it's not been consistent. But for a while, you could easily turn up to a West Ham game and be thoroughly entertained. Not just, not just this weekend. There is, a, there is a good blend of ball-playing creatives and tougher players who are good at defending set-pieces or scoring from set-pieces. I mean, the magic ingredient is Ward-Prowse because when, when, when your creatives dip a little, tire a little, you know you've got someone who will deliver the best, and it, it is the best, the best set-piece, whether it's from a corner or a free-kick. And that gives you... Breathing space, a chance to change your tactics, a chance to threaten the team in a different way. So you're getting you're getting an, a very well balanced team. The the hiccups for the last few years have been because he's juggling Europe as well, and they're not a big enough club to juggle uh, effectively week in week out. But when when they click, I think there's nothing wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with West Ham. You get you get you get passion, you get pace, you get tricks. And you get great set pieces and you get great defending. What's not to like? Excellent. They feel like they're just a striker short, aren't they, Tone? From, well, from getting that kind of next next step in their David Moyes evolution. He tried to resolve that last season, didn't he, with Scamacca, and it didn't work out. I think they've got the carrot, carrot and blue Mo Salah in Gerard Bowen. I think he's just one of them players that will get goals. He'll run all day. Whether he, you know, obviously Mo Salah's an unbelievable level, but he ain't far behind him for his tenacity, his drive to get goals. 
Um, he creates problems for other players to exploit. And I think Pacato is just, I mean, he's a footballing genius, you can see, in every move. And there's going to be moments he's going to give the ball away in ridiculous positions because he does take high risk when he receives the ball. But technically, he's absolutely superb. Uh, you know, it's really incredible sometimes. We look at football and we go, you know, we look at Tottenham last year. What would you have said if they'd lose Harry Kane and they did in the summer? What would they be like? They've ended up topping the table for a while and they've looked a far more accomplished team. What would you have said about West Ham losing Declan Rice? He's gone on to do brilliantly at Arsenal. You know, it, that's a big challenge for a manager to find. And Alisson was right. Walprouse is sensational deliveries. I've made a point in, with, you know, watching Ant Nuri at uh, Wolves and he's taking his set pieces at the weekend and literally every ball he hit the first man. You can guarantee Ward Prowse will hit the, the West Ham player in an area literally to a tee. He is phenomenal at set pieces. You don't be one behind or level with David Beckham uh, you know, if you've not an in, got an incredible feat uh, to deliver balls into areas. He does it fantastically well. Kudos has come in, done really well. I think there's a lot of positives and Way more. I mean, I find the David Boyd's conversation quite strange about should he be there or not the end of the season. And look, there was a time when I, I always thought when he, I think his first signing at Man United was Fellaini. Mm. I think it was yeah, at the time. Was. I remember was, thinking, yeah. it's not quite the signing you should be making at Old Trafford. You you want to make a statement of intent. And and he's always like that sort of player. Sushek is that to him. But I still think there's way more positives around what he's done at West Ham. But Alison's. Al Retort initially is the most interesting point here. Is, is what is West Ham two point What is is there is there ever going to be such a thing? Mm. But that I'm was not, kind of my point. Is, no, is he, not, is he not, making that st the no, steps there? No, I was at the Olympiacos game on Thursday and it was dire for an hour, absolutely wo woeful. And Paqueta produced a moment of magic. So there's still you're still what we're still seeing is if he's introducing players of this elevated quality and standard like Paqueta, like Kudus. Um, Edson Alvarez is coming and been brilliant. Actually, he's yeah. he's offered the protection. It's different. He's not not got the kind of forward passing of of Declan Rice, but he's really competitive. Too competitive, in fact. I think he's had seven bookings in fifteen games or something. Um, but if you're introducing those players, what West Ham are still doing is relying on a moment of brilliance from them. It's not it's not coherent. It's not it's not like there's not like passing patterns that you see from the top top teams. So, but I, I'm not saying. Like West Don't row back on it now. You've thrown the Scott no, under no, the bus. You've thrown, no. thrown Moisey under the bus. No, I've not. West Ham fans should still be... This is still like... These are still heady days for West Ham. They're going to be in, in, in European, foo uh, European football after Christmas for the third successive season. They're, they're in no way under uh, in th under threat of, of relegation. They should be looking up. But you know, a lot of them, I think there's still a divided fan base. Some of them want to see, is there a, is there a next step to take when you see the exciting football that other teams are playing? Is well, there it, a next step? It's not just signing new players. And because West Ham, when they sign new players, they're not changing their whole system of play. They're putting an exciting player into David Moyes' system. That's the conflict at the heart of West Ham. And it will always be there. But Moyes is still doing a great job. Yeah, Those two I, things I, can be true. Gregor, and you, you know, we all know we're quite aware of the West Ham of, and whether David Moyes, and this is one of the gripes with West Ham fans, is the, the success of the younger levels and players to come through. There's a lot of excitement about certain players to come into the team. Um, and so that's a challenge for him. Can he 
you know, bolt, mould them into a side. But when the time is right, because David Moyes is challenging all fronts, and he might he might say because he's been very pragmatic as we've seen uh, as a manager. You can see that by the way he does transfers, that he might steam it. It has to be the right time, and maybe that's not now. But it'd be interesting because that's one of the big gripes for West Ham fans. They want to see the, the Joe Cole breakthrough, the Michael Carrick and, and others, Rio Ferdinand. They want to see that because they really know that they've got a youth system there that's being, it's been productive and producing a lot of good players. Absolutely. Well, I think we've topped up the Team David Moyes fan club, Franks, you know, a little bit there. It's been a while since we've had a bit of Moisey love. So there we go, West Ham fans. But if you disagree, if you think West Ham need a change or want to air your views on any of your teams, you can get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, but stick with us in the next half of the show. We'll be talking Newcastle, Bournemouth and all the other brilliant matches from the weekend. Stick with us. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark, and I'm joined by Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson. Now, I thought, given all the drama and all the hectic nature of this weekend, we got on far too well in the start first half of that show, so it's time to fall out. <laughs> Alison and Tony, I'm coming at you. Newcastle and Bournemouth. Before we even get into Bournemouth and what a brilliant win that was, Kieran Trippier, Alison Rudd, Trippier's class shows the mood could quickly turn on Eddie Howe. Tony Cascarino, Kieran Trippier is a great thing, shows he cares. Right, mm. go on, off well, you those go. Those two things out. are not... No, come on, fall out. We need to, we need to have all. a little row. Now, me and Alison have got on for 20-odd years. Oh, and yeah. You have to crush it in one podcast. Come on. <laughs> you, have to try, you have to try harder to throw a wedge between us there, too. I know, but I mean, listen. But it was an interesting moment in the game and Very, in, this, in this season uh, oh, yes, as well. I, yes. could, I, I must confess, I didn't watch the game. 
And when I then checked the score and saw that it was the first headline after mm. the match, that it wasn't, you know, as Bournemouth fans would probably say, and I'm proving the point here by talking <laughs> about it, but it, it so shows how significant it was that Newcastle, all the brilliant, brilliant moments they've had, and then all of a sudden you've got a, you know, the captain and the fans turning on each other. They've, they've, they've become entitled. This is what happens. This is what happens. I mean, the point I made, I know I bang on about it and sometimes it seems like I'm just shoehorning it in, but this time it's very relevant. They are a sports washing project. They are the richest club in the world. Let's not forget that. And I think the fans have got spoiled and they're thinking, hang on a minute, if we are owned by the richest owners, how come we've got a manager saying, oh, you know, we're unrecognisable because I've got he started the game with nine injured players and two suspended players. That is a lot. Mm. That's a lot to take into even a trip to the South Coast and a struggling team. And the fans, not all of them, but some of them would have been thinking, well, hang on a minute. This shouldn't, this shouldn't be an issue if you, are, if you are the Newcastle who are going to dominate the world because they're the richest club in the world. This is not what we were suddenly very used to. What they forgot, the ones that complained was that it, it, they're not well stocked yet because the whole point of this project was not to throw too much money too fast and lose an identity that was very strong in the northeast, and to rely on the coach to, to, to get a lot out of what was already there and the, the connection with the fans and so on. And he's done that. He's hit a stumbling block because of the amount of injuries, but and he had to put in uh, two debutants an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. And yet, I'm sat there watching Bournemouth having the time of their lives and slightly annoying from their point of view, should have scored more than two goals, a lot more than two goals, slicing through them at will. But there was no way, there was no way, even somebody who really detests Newcastle because of the sports washing, nobody could say that the Newcastle players who were out there were not trying their absolute hardest. The You could see, you could see their hearts pumping you could see them going for it you could see them trying really hard to be positive even though it was slightly falling apart they gave everything and I actually thought before Trippier had the altercation with the fans I thought god you know these these fans have made a 700 mile round trip but they are going to be proud of their team in such dire circumstances with gaps all over the pitch having to plug holes with players that shouldn't have been where they were put that they tried that hard and they're going to get an absolute ovation from the travelling sport. And the fact that they didn't shows to me that entitlement is creeping in slightly because there's no way, really, Kieran Trippier should have been... He was very emotional. He had to be pulled away, not because anyone thought there was going to be a fight, but because he was getting over-emotional. It was hurting him to have to stand there and say to the fans can you not see can you not see how many injuries we've got and we are trying for you and for some fans not to recognise that oh I thought they're getting spoiled we've seen some so the question is how audible was the, was any if at all was any you uh, couldn't well you, to be fair you couldn't you couldn't, you couldn't from the audio available you couldn't hear exactly what was said but you could hear the tone of it and the, there was some finger jabbing I'm just wondering how many fans this is. Is it just a few dafties who like? There's every fan base has a few dafties who who will shout expletives. Well, the, if, the if grouping around the key fan or fans was was looking negative, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure the vast majority were supportive. But I think players are used to knowing there's an errant voice in any crowd that you ignore, 
But if you mm. if you hear it clearly and you feel you have to explain yourself and then get emotional about what's said back to you, then it's then it's significant. Yeah, it's clearly frustrating for uh, you know. The game looked frustrating towards the end. As you say, they were just being cut open. There was huge gaps. Mm. Newcastle, what are Newcastle? They're like solid, disciplined, defensive unit. That back four, which has been torn apart. Yeah. You know, Dan Burns gone, Botman's gone. Uh, I think Hall had to come off as well in this one. Um, so Trippi was like the last man standing mm. from it. And it was just unrecognisable. They were just getting, you know... Nick Pope was getting pelted with shots <laughs> towards the end of the game. Pope played really well. Yeah, he was, he was heroic. Best he was heroic. Best player. So it would be frustrating, you know. Trippier's not used to being in a Newcastle team like that. Just very quickly on Trippier, then Tony, you, you you're kind of looking at it from his side, the mm. players' side. Do you think actually it's quite a, it's a good thing in terms of the look of Newcastle this season that well, the, the, a, a match that ends in defeat and some worrying signs, as Alison and Gregor have pointed out, actually becomes about a player, a mm. captain, a leader showing how much he cares. Well, I've been in the game 40 years and I was 20 years as a player okay and yes there were certain individuals that maybe didn't care as much as others but generally nearly every dressing room I was in the players were totally you know running working hard trying trying to get a result you know I find this idea and it's a little bit of a myth where oh they're just throwing the towel now you can make it on the odd occasion but you cannot in what I've witnessed with Newcastle, accuse them of lacking the desire that, that Alisson spoke about at Bournemouth. You haven't got the quality. That's a big problem. And once you lose the quality, it can look like you're not... Ch- I, I, pl- I, pl- I remember playing in a game with, with Republic of Ireland. We got beat 3-0 in Portugal. They absolutely battered us. And Irish fans, and they never had a go. There was a few that having a go at us, you know, about our defeat. And they had Figo and many others, great players. And I remember thinking, I've run more than I've ever run in a night in this game. I've chased everybody. Okay, I didn't get near anyone. It's like the rest of us, we couldn't get near them. They were just superb. And I think, you know, Kieran, I think, give them a bit of leeway. You know, you if you're seeing this week in, week out, and you're going there as a fan, and you're thinking, and we do, we go... I'll tell you what, this team lacks a bit of character and a bit of heart. Uh, that's a fair point. I can't accuse this Newcastle team of that. Yeah. I, I can see them and they've had a bad day and, you know, what Gregor's talking about. Just go through their team and what they're missing. It's, you know, you need your best players. OK, Tom, you, you don't have us working for you. And you go and get a load of other journalists to fill in. <laughs> don't. Oh, easy. Don't put any ideas in his head, Tony. Be like? don't, don't. What an awful idea. I couldn't imagine my Mondays not, not without <laughs> you. Many, without if you if any Newcastle fans are getting into that mindset that Alison's suggesting, then Trippy's just given, sent them a reminder. Like, yeah. Where we've just come from, where we still are, in fact. And the players would and be who, happy you know, with that, Gregor. Yeah, I think, I think actually... A, could be a kind of slightly so you've ended up all agreeing I tried to get you to fall out can't work it. that's got a solid team working for me here wonderful uh, we've got to do the classic bit must mention Bournemouth what a fantastic result what yeah. a fantastic performance uh, Gregor Andoni Iraiola you backed him previously this season when he was on a bit of a struggling run and I like a mischievous little sod that I am suggested that he might be getting the sack and you said no I can see I can see something here was this a case of it coming together at last yeah I think they've played something close to this on many occasions this season I just think that they've often, you know, been architects their own downfall because you know mistakes at the back, gifting goals, giving themselves, you know, giving the other team an opportunity to to defend the lead. When they what they want is an open game. They want, in fact, you know, if they score early, perfect. The other team has to come out, and all their front foot football, you know, they can exploit space at will. So 
they they absolutely hounded Newcastle in this game. And this is a blow par Newcastle, obviously, but they hounded them, and they, you know they were in their face from the start. And that's the that is the identity that he wants from his team. And I think we've seen it. I think it. I think it's going to be effective enough for them to for them to stay up. Part of that's to do with, you know, the quality below them. But I think they'll get enough points playing this way. Dominic Solanke as well, Tony, might be a reason why they might stay up. He's a subject in your column yeah, well, today, just, thinking you know, that he's showing showing that potential to go a bit higher. Well, I saw him as a young kid at Chelsea, and you know, in very it's that system, that conveyor belt at Chelsea that produced a number of players, and that Loftus Cheek idea of you know you go around, you go on loan, and then he signed for Liverpool and just didn't get going at Liverpool. Whether he was ready for that at that time, I I doubt very much. Um, then gets to be the championship player that gets loads of goals but can't score in the Premier League, which I I sort of thought, well that's a bit unfair. Getting goals is hard and and at different levels. Yeah, I understand that, but I just felt he's grown not just after yesterday's game. I think he's grown as a player of his experience from last year coming into this season. Um, you know he's got a lot of good attributes. You know he, Solanke's six foot two. He's quick enough. He's decent technically. Um, and if Bournemouth find a team which they, you know, clearly can do at times is create, I think he'll get to 10 goals. If he gets to 10 goals this year, you have to remind yourself he's 26 now. Mm. You know, you still think of some players as, oh, they're in their early 20s. Mm. I've, you know, immediately with Solanke, I think that and then go, no, he's not. He's been around for ages. He was, a, he was 22 when he was at Liverpool. You know, but I, I, I really hope um, that this lad can start. I, only because I'm biased, because I think of my own career. I didn't get going towards 25. I scored loads of goals at Gillingham at League One level, but at 25, I joined Millwall. And then I went from 25, 26, and got goals in that period from Millwall to the top flight. You know, so I I sort of feel like there are late developers and they find their feet, but they've got to find the right place and the right club for them, which I think that is Bournemouth now. I gave him nine out of 10 because if he had, <laughs> if the right decisions had been made, he'd have scored more goals. He made some great runs that were ignored yeah. by his teammates. But he did. He did absolutely everything you want from a centre forward. He his hold at play was good. He yeah. worked incredibly hard. He had pace. He had intelligence, and he finished. I don't know what more you want. Perfect. Well, there you go, Bournemouth fans. That's a nice little uh, bonus uh, for Monday morning or Tuesday. Whenever that sounded you're a bit patronising, Tom. I have to say. No. <laughs> there no. you go, Bournemouth. No, you because little, I'm just so consci- I'm so conscious that they've had a massive, massive win, and then we start talking about Kieran Trippier rowing with fans, like the terrible journalists that we are, always never talking about the positives, always talking about the negatives. So moving on, Wolves, Tottenham. And let's start talking about Wolves, shall we? Hey, there you go. I flipped it on its head. Another win for Gary O'Neill, the tactical genius who seems to only be able to beat the big teams at Wolves. Um, why is this? Is it the way he plays? Is it that the team get behind him? Is it the the fans seem to be getting behind him? He's had some amazing results. He's beaten Manchester City and now beaten the team of everyone's team of the season, Sir Ange Postecoglou. <laughs> Gregor, what is it? What is it? Greg, Gary O'Neill does. I think he's a really, really smart coach. I think you can see it in the team and the kind of the intelligence they play with and the the discipline and I think you can see all the team are invested in it and they recognise that they recognise they're playing for a really smart coach and they're really difficult to to play through to break down and they offer a really really huge threat on the counter and they've got some great ball carriers and mm. they've got some players who are, who are playing better than we've ever seen them play for Wolves mm. uh, Cunha Huang. Um, obviously Neto until he was injured, but they've kind of, you know, they've, they've rode that out so far. Um, 
but I just I, I maintain it's about the it's about the block. They've got like a back three and three really narrow midfielders who are who are brilliant at kind of at holding defensive sort of shape and discipline and pressing at the right times, and that's that's all coaching. You can see it on the touchline when yeah. when he, when he's when Gary O'Neill is. is Standing there and almost like orchestrating it all, or if somebody's not timing it at the right moment, he's he's on them, and that's how they do it. They win the ball back brilliantly in turnover, and then they're 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 off. Yeah, uh, but th- this is actually slightly different though because yeah. they they had more of the ball than they normally do, and they they actually for spells of this game outplayed Spurs, mm. um, and I think you know part of that was to do with we we spoke after uh, after last week, you know, Spurs need certain players in certain positions who are kind of who have certain characteristics and that a lot of that is the centre halves and they've changed and you saw where the yeah. the goals came from. They conceded, you know, Dyer tried to play a ball down the line and it went out of play and then they were exposed. And it's like just small margins like that. When when they continue to want to, to play in a certain way, you know, that's the only way they're gonna play. They need players who have got the characteristics to play that way and, and it's a step down now. And so it's going to be interesting to see. They've got to ride that out for until until the new year, probably until Van well, Ven's back um, and Romero. I talked about earlier about you know losing big players, and you think that Wolves not so long ago had Moutinho in midfield, Ruben Neves, who's now in Saudi Arabia, and then uh, Nunes that went to Man City, and you know that's a lot of change in a very short space of time. I was so Gary O'Neill on the sideline. I thought it was one of the best if you're looking and watching a game you see and he's literally got his two fingers together and he's saying to Sarabia go in between yeah he's telling him to go in between the midfield and the back line of of Tottenham to try and make something happen both goals come from that great finish uh, a great finish. look it's most it's one of the best goals of the season isn't it Gregory it's just a, it's a bit, an incredible goal but he's made a run exactly where the manager is seeing where he thinks they can make a difference to get back into the game. And yes, they were two lay goals, but they, they were both runs from midfield, in between the midfield and the and be, to get in between the defenders of Spurs. And they were from turnovers. So yeah, one, from one, turnover. was, one was a kick out of play, but they got really moving really quickly and Dyer was out of position and exploited that goal. And the other one was, again, Spurs trying to play like around the centre circle. Kick they want, I, think they, I think they want a turnover and then they want a free kick and they played really quickly again. Goal. Yeah. So it's like that. Those transitions are what they do best. They do as well as almost anyone in the league, yeah. I think. And and that was a, the big thing of the game for me is that you've won this big game really on a manager absolutely spotting what they can do and make a difference. And I've enjoyed watching Wolves. You know, you we could all sit here and make an argument for Wolves could have six points more. You know, by decisions by VAR going against them, they are a side that are not even close to being a relegated team, or uh, which they've been. They've fought relegation the last year or two. So, so people say, oh, Ange ball, but actually it's Gary ball. He yeah. out-anged Ange yeah. because they kept going. It was very Spursy at their best this season, wasn't it? Still believing, crowd still behind you, produce beauty in added time, twice. Yeah, that well, is you, so Ange. You say that and talking about Ange, is is it time for a bit of criticism of Ange or is it luck running out? No, Greg well, is shaking his head. Well, he's got lots of injuries. I mean, we, we can't go like Newcastle, we just talked about and say how many of that. You know, Spurs have lost... A number of that. No, two centre halves are out. You know, there's a, there's a, a starting. This problem. is why people, Adogi, This is why people put a caveat when you say, you know, how can how can Spurs do? They put a caveat by saying they need to, you know, if they avoid injuries, and they've just been absolutely wiped out. So, so my, I think they could, you know, it could be a difficult. 
Yeah, it's going to be a period of disagreement. So this wasn't a case of um, my pal, I take all my cues from my friends and their little pithy one-liners during the weekend, but my pal who supports Tottenham saying kind of, oh, normal service resumed. You don't think that's the case? No, he needs needs Kieran Trippier to get in front of him (laughs) and say, come on, fine." how many injuries we got? There you go. Hope you're listening. Well, suddenly you look Um, at the back four and you've got, you know, Emerson Royal playing left back, Ben Davis and Eric Dyer. It looks more like old Spurs. So, yeah, we're seeing old Spurs a little bit. Well, then, a final question on Tottenham. We've got our top four at the minute, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal and Tottenham. Will those teams be the top four in May? And if not, who will break in? No. No, they won't. Go first? Yeah. No, Villa. I think Villa will. Interesting. I think, I think Villa are a side that have got so much, even though they've had days where I thought, really? Like, watching them at Nottingham Forest last week was really bizarre because Forest just ran them up, you know, just literally caused Villa so many problems. But I do believe that that home record and a slight improvement on their away performances, I think Villa would be up there. I instead just, of Tottenham? Instead of Tottenham, yeah. yeah. I, I would definitely go to the Tottenham be the ones to miss out. But there's a lot to be excited about. Ollie Watkins has been absolutely fantastic for Villa this year. McGinn is playing to the... You know, there was a period where he's been left out. And I remember thinking, when Stephen Gerrard was manager, I'm thinking... John McGinn's a really good player, mm. you know. But and then they've got midfielders to come back in, you know. They, David Louise, uh, you know, uh, uh, Douglas Louise uh, in midfield, you know, terrific player. I think there's a lot of great things at Villa, and Villa Park gets rocking. You know, we don't hear too much about it because they've they've had a really difficult period for a number of years. I I would be excited if I'm a Villa fan about where they can finish. Well, hold hold that thought. I'm going to come on to Aston Villa next because we've got the perfect man to answer about Villa Park because who's there. But Alison, on Tottenham and the top four, do, the current top four that we've got now or is someone else going to break in and if so, who's going to drop out? I think there'll be one point in it, whether it's Villa or Spurs. I think Spurs will go through a dip because they they are decimated and you kind of think Spurs without Madison, you know, he's so important to maintaining that mm. that that characteristic they have of just that buoyancy that he's a, he's a good um, conduit for what the manager wants yeah. and gives them personality and um, kills the Spursiness. That's yeah. what Madison does. Yeah. Without him, they go a bit Spursy. But um, so I think, but I don't. I think I think Villa away from home will stumble occasionally. So it will by the end of the season, it could be incredibly close. Yeah. So not by so the way, not then, Newcastle, Chelsea teams we've talked about. They're going to fall short. I think there's a bit of a gap there for Chelsea. Yeah. Too big of a gap. Um, I I'm, Just one thing on Van der Ven, yeah. which is another issue. He's had an operation on his hamstring. Mm. That's a bad one, yeah. That's bad. That's a long time. Yeah. You have an a- operation on your hamstring. You speak to anybody who's had that operation, they'll tell you it's a three long months, way back from there. Like three months yeah. minimum, yeah. yeah. Gregor, on Tottenham, on the top four? The top three is the top three, probably in that order. That's and why then, we, we didn't ask you that. We asked you I know, before. I know. But no one's mentioned Manchester United. Are you going to? I mean, I just feel that always... By hook money or by tells, hook. Money tells. It's like it, 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 we, always get, we always fall into this trap. And I think there's a chance, that, like Manchester United did last year after they got rid of Ronaldo. I think they went and won like nine out of ten games or something. It's possible. So I wouldn't com- completely write them off. Like We're coming to talk about Villa... I think Spurs will fall away. It's a hard one to choose. I wouldn't write off Chelsea yet either. But I think Man United still will. Blimey. There you go, Man United fans. As I said, we've got lots of uh, wonderful listeners getting in touch to How talk are they about sixth? Let's be honest. They've been crap. <laughs> They've been crap. I was just about to say a bit of positive so, news for Manchester United, and then you came in, they've been crap. You know, we hope that. They, well, I say we hope, but surely they can't fall much 
further than this, and they're sixth, and they're five points off four. There you go. I didn't Impossible. see. I didn't see that Absolutely. coming. Anyway, to Aston Villa then, because I thought that was really interesting, Tony and Alison, that you both picked them out. Uh, Unai Emery's side getting their thirteenth straight home win, and Gregor, you were there. So, do you agree with all the assessment that Tony said about Villa Park, that home crowd looking a bit unbeatable? Absolutely. So, thirteen games uh, in a row, thirteen wins in a row, which is equal to club records stretching back to 1983 when they were European Cup holders. Uh, won six home games at the start of a top flight campaign for the first time since 1932-33. A lot of, I think, they scored three or more goals in each of those yeah. home games. This is like a proper fortress now, yeah. And you can feel it. It's a great place to watch football and, and as Tony will know, to play football. And it's been obviously, you know, fallen on hard times for quite a long while. Um, but they're so, so versatile and tactically intelligent like intelligent I, I wrote about that in, in my report they they can sit deep and either press or or if they have the ball probe really well and then play really quick sort of incisive, incisive passes through the lines or search for Watkins and Diaby we've got real pace they can a bit further up the pitch they can control possession and they do a thing now where uh, Bubakar Kamara drops in from midfield into the back three Alongside Consa and Pau Torres, and both the fullbacks, Matty Cash and, and mm. Dina, push really high. Yeah, and it wide. suits them too, doesn't it? Gregor? Absolutely, because yeah. they they actually prefer yeah, that to defend than really. Yeah. <laughs> and Consa, he's just got an England call up yesterday. Certainly, he's the one who who can who steps in and 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 tries to find the pass. He's the one who who does most on the ball from that position, and he's really good at it. Actually, I think he you know he's someone who who could could well play for England. Mm. You know, actually get into the team. Uh, and then also they they kind of combine this thing where when they when they in those kind of transitions we've seen them they press really high and like ferociously and you know and then they play that really high line the same thing that we saw yeah. Spurs and you know there's some real like heart attack moments <laughs> for for the fans but then often invariably the offside flag saves the day or there's like cash is rapid and Konza is rapid and they make these. Searing kind of defensive runs and a last ditch tackle. There were a few of them yesterday. Fulham had chances, particularly in the second half. But Villa and John McGinn was outstanding. Outstanding. There was a moment in the first half, sorry, there was a moment in the first half where his shorts were torn quite early. So he was like, Can I get a new pair of shorts? So he came over the touchline. He was down to his briefs. And like, John McGinn's bum is ample (laughs) in its size. (laughs) And it's one of the best tools. Is it Kenny like, Daglish's it's, it's his best weapon. <laughs> it's, it's famous. Like, that was you Daglish's weapon. The there was a great, as another podcast I listened to, it was Charlie, Charlie Mulgrew who played with him in Scotland. Once said that Alex McLeish actually said to him, can you stop doing that thing with your bum? Like, can you? Because if you, anyone watches John McGinn often, his biggest strength is shielding the ball with his bum. Like, so, so for the third goal, the ball, he, the, there was a breakaway. Uh, Bailey played it to McGinn, and there was no one really with him, and like four players surrounded him, and he just stood over the ball <laughs> and turned round over, like just like kind of turned and pivoted on it, the little pirouette, and just kind of almost like no one could get around his bum. <laughs> and then he just laid in Bailey. Bailey squared it, so he just he bought time by doing that, and like. That that wasn't all he did. He also scored a great goal, and but he's he he was. Mm-hmm. All over them from the start. He's like combative but creative as well. He combined those two things brilliantly. He is like he is the poster boy for this. For Unbelievable. Villa. And Emery was asked about him afterwards, and he's like, "Did he talk about his bum?" No, but many managers have. Dean Smith did. 
Smith <laughs> obviously it's McLeishas. Um but he said like he's he's someone who's like yeah. he's an inspiration, basically. He's and you know, this is the guy who signed for them in the championship. Gregor, Kenny Dalglish was known for that as well. Using his backside. As as a defence weapon, like the ball would come into him, and he'd because he just had that because he isn't the biggest, but he had a backside which literally could hold people off. He did it brilliantly. Honestly, it's like uh, I could see you kind of like no, no, I, away a bit here and think, what no, are you talking about? No, no, I just uh, any Villa fans listening will be nodding their head to you. They'll be like, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go, Villa yeah. fans. Please do get that's in touch. Tom Clark at the Times. <laughs> and see <laughs> if you agree with John McGinn's Anil, ample Anil, bum. Neil, the producer, play Hey Fatty Bum Bum yeah. as our, <laughs> our music to leave. Honestly, he does it as well. He does it as well in like really important moments. So when I'm talking about when Konza's playing into midfield, he's the guy. Like Brighton, Brighton do this as well, and they ask Billy Gilmore to do. It. You see the Zerbi on the touchline going crazy. It's about someone being brave enough to get on the half turn to play forward or to play out wide. And he did that once in the first half. He, he used his bum. He got the ball into him and he shielded someone there. Spun, played a switch out to Dinia, and I think like. You know, I think Dino went on and, he, and uh, played in Telemans and he crossed and had a chance. I'm telling you. I've <laughs> John, got absolutely John was no problem with you talking about John McGinn's bum. In fact, I loved how passionate you got talking about it there. <laughs> I'm just merely so surprised that we went from Man United are going to finish maybe in the top four to John McGinn's got an ample bum <laughs> in a very short space of time and it really caught me off guard. Well, we'll see if Aston Villa can keep that going. They've got away games against Tottenham and Bournemouth coming up with a Europa Conference League game as well. And then they are at home to Manchester City and Arsenal. So that will be a real test for John McGinn and his bum. Uh, we're going to have to finish and see if we can come out with any more ex- excellent analysis from Gregor Robertson and the guys. Everton, another game of the weekend. Just just so many games of the weekend. Who'd have thought we'd live in a Premier League season where there's a five-goal thriller between teams managed by Roy Hodgson and Sean Dyche? That's when you know things are getting really, really crazy. Everton, are we sensing a little bit of kind of momentum here of some kind a bit of Sean Dyche has got them a bit more together a bit more of a system going are these positive shoots for him at the minute absolutely I mean I think they've got the third best away record in the league we've always spoken about oh, Goodison's going to be important for them mm. you know to get that home form will probably just about keep them up the fans behind them and all this their home form has not been great um but they've, they're, yeah, they're absolutely they've, they've built a bit of momentum. I think six wins from the last nine games in all competitions. They're um, they're getting goals from places you wouldn't really expect them. Yeah, at the well, that was what I was going to ask. Yeah, which is again another maybe a feature that we've said before. Oh, they're going to rely on Dominic Calvert Lewin with him in the team. They'll be fine. But when he gets his injuries, as he always does, they might struggle. But as you say, they they look like they can score from elsewhere now. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michalenko popped up with a, with goals in consecutive games. Having I think he scored once in two years before that. Um, uh, Gay came on and scored. He's not scored many goals in his career, um, but still, I mean, we talk about yeah, Calvert Lewin will miss games and he's you know his injury record, but that is the that is the kind of the focal point and what's changed for Everton is, mm-hmm. is having Calvert Lewin up front and Ducouré playing off him, yeah. because you put a ball up into Calvin Calvert Lewin's head and and it's a nightmare for any defender in the league. And um, Andy is way more suited. He does the Fellaini role. You know, he, he wants to join and, and be a, in the 18-yard box so things are dropping and that's worked really well. I think Sean Dyche is probably pleasantly surprised. Walked into a club and thought, there's a lot wrong here. 
but it won't take that much to make it work with the players he's got. Like you said, Manolenko coming in at left back's done really well. Braithwaite's coming at centre half. Looks like you know he's a young lad giving a chance. So there's a lot of good things, and they're a big, strong side. You know, set pieces they're going to cause problems to teams. I'm not sure. You know, I I think he would have seen that, but mm. it would have felt like it was very distant for a long time because mm. Calvert Lewin, well, yeah, <laughs> had not been playing for so long for for most of his his time at the club, Deitch's time at the club. So now he's in the team. It's just it's transformative, and he deserves deserves credit for for putting the Curry up there as well to yeah. kind of changing his role a little bit because he's a box to box midfielder. But you know, the two of them combining brilliantly. Um, and look, although they conceded conceded goals in this, they also showed something else in that they kind of they didn't go under. They they, mm-hmm. they showed a, a, a mentality to kind of turn that around. And he referenced that afterwards. That was what was most pleasing for him. He didn't think they played that well. They played better in, in other games this season, but they responded to that adversity. And suddenly, that's, that's suddenly the brittleness is gone. That fragility. That sense that they're a team hovering close to crisis. They. All of a sudden, don't look like that. Mm. They look more like Burnley looked, where they were in that period where they had a low budget, but you felt they were never in danger because they knew who they were and they fought for each other. They've got personality now, and they're not scared to be four four two and yeah. be a bit robust when it needs to be robust. Don't, yeah. don't actually, they actually remind me a little bit of Brentford. Like Brentford, when they have Ivan Tony in the team, they make no bones, no bones about yeah. hitting them. And getting people around them, and being very difficult. Jurgen Klopp referenced it this week. He said after this game, he said, "You know, my early twenty years ago when I was starting, I wanted a, to put together a team that no one wanted to play against. And today, I played against that team. So we kind of give a, a real compliment to Thomas Frank and Brentford with Calvert Lewin in the team. Sean Dyche is not going to take, you know, any persuasion to stick the ball on his head. And it doesn't matter who you're playing against. You've been playing against the best team in the world. You could play against Man City, and they will struggle with that. So." As long as Calvert-Lewin's fit, they will be okay. There's no one way that you can be successful. It changes all the time. And yes, the game now is very much on possession base. Uh, what City are doing is is to have the ball continually. But the laws of the game give an advantage to attacking teams. But not many teams want to be brave enough to play a different style because they all, if they play City or they play Liverpool, teams just want to get loads behind the ball and say, we'll suffocate everything. We'll just pull blocks in front of you to try for you to try and overcome. Um, so it's a bit refreshing when I do see. I always admired Sean Dyche's Burnley because I just felt, well, what else are you meant to do with this team? How else are you meant to play with Ashley Barnes up front? Chris Wood, what are you meant to do? Are you meant to say, drop into midfield, Chris, and pick it up, turn, get your head up, throw it out to the winger, and he'll bomb on? No, they weren't made that way. And they were successful at staying in the, the Premier League by that style. And their, 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 bot, their bottoms weren't big enough, either. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, something for lots of managers and players to be thinking about how can you make that bum bigger for the next weekend. Uh, Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino, thank you very much. That was a really positive show, I felt, after last Thursday, Tony, Gregor with Martin talking about VAR and all the nightmare situations in the game. We've managed to compliment basically everyone in the Premier League. Uh, if we've left your team out, please do get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. But we'll be back on Thursday, hopefully with more positivity. Hey, fatty boom boom. Sweet sugar dumpling Hey fatty boom boom